Well, the idea of some sort of fiscal stimulus seems to have fallen off the table in the United States with more focus on making sure that the post office is going to work come election time. Yet U.S. equities continue to rise even as New York's manufacturing growth slows. And against the falling U.S. dollar, the Aussie is higher, reaching a two-year high against the Kiwi dollar this morning. It's Tuesday, the 18th of August, 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Yes, a further fall in the US dollar. It's down another quarter percent on the DXY index. It's down over half a percent against the Japanese yen. A big rise in gold. It's up over 2% for COMEX, back closer to $2,000 an ounce. Silver is up over 5.5%. And bond yields pushing lower, down two basis points for 10-year treasuries in the US. They were down four earlier on. Down six points in Italy, down three in most of the rest of Europe. Aussie 10-year yields are down three basis points too. More than a quarter percent rise in the euro, just 0.1% rise in the pound as Brexit talks kick off again today. And US stocks are mixed, although generally up. The Dow is down, but the S&P 500 is up 0.3%. Pretty close, if not at an all-time high. The Nasdaq, certainly at an all-time high, uh, reaching uh, 1.1% up this morning. Microsoft climbing 0.6%. Apple down 0.3%. But Alibaba, despite the president's protestations, is up 0.8%. No big moves in Europe, although the, the FTSE 1 100 is up 0.6%. Spanish shares are down 0.9%. We've got a 2% rise in WTI crude. And the Aussie dollar up about 0.7%. The Kiwi dollar is up about 0.4%. So the Aussie is even higher against the Kiwi dollar. And let's start on that with Ray Atrell, head of FX strategy at NAB. So this is the highest Aussie-Kiwi cross we've seen for quite some time, isn't it? We're, we're trading clear of, of 110 now. And the last time we were there was, was August 2018, so almost exactly two years ago. And uh, as we've obviously been discussing in recent days, it's that um, uber-dovishness being displayed by um, Adrian Orr, the, uh, the governor of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, that I think is the is the proximate cause of that. So you know, in general, the Aussie you know, is, is, is riding high and back above 72 cents primarily because we've got a, you know, a risk positive start to the week reflected in those equity numbers you've just mentioned. But um, it's that juxtaposition of the RBA that's making it clear that it's going nowhere as far as uh, further policy easing measures, at least for the next uh, little while, um, against the RBNZ that seems hell-bent on uh, you know, on one extreme um, interpretation, hell-bent on debasing its currency and, uh, in terms of what its ambitions were, are in terms of additional bond buying. So that's really you know what's happening in terms of the relative activities between Aussie and Kiwi. Uh, and here. that's not going to change today, so we're not going to get any surprises out of the RBA because we get the, uh, the the minutes of the last meeting. But of course, Philip Lowe was... Uh uh, up in front of the Senate uh, last week. So there's probably nothing new in there, is there today? There shouldn't be really, no. But uh, these minutes of the early August meeting, as you say, have pretty much been uh, been um, predated mm. by um, by what Philip Lowe had to say last week, where I say the message was very clear. Um, you know, potentially we could do more. But at the moment, I think the view is that um, they would be pushing on a string somewhat and there'd be no point in doing it, um, you know, at least until the point where policy is seen to be maybe having a bit more traction. But um, emphatically ruling out um, negative interest rates or um, foreign exchange intervention, neither of which have been ruled out by the RBNZ. Incidentally, you also seem to be, you know, uh, pretty committed to, to taking interest rates into negative territory yeah, as well. So, so, so but the rest of what's going on. 
uh, we're seeing equities rising high. I mean, stimulus talk is go- is going nowhere in the United States. The fight is on now turning to the US election and whether the, the Postal Service is going to be able to cope with it, with claims that the Postmaster General is in a, a plot to try and stop postal votes getting through. Uh, Donald Trump is, meanwhile, saying he wants to make the post office great again, but possibly not till after the next election. We've got Nancy Pelosi saying the House is going to return earlier to, uh, to schedule a vote on stopping any changes to the U.S. Postal Service. I mean, it's, it's like some sort of uh, political thriller, isn't it? Except it's real life in the United States, and equities don't care. They continue to go up. Well, absolutely. I mean, thinking, you know, as I say, we've got equities flirting with uh, with record highs or through record highs in the case of the Nasdaq, you know, on a day when, um, you know, the U.S. administration has just uh, ordered, what, 38 U.S. companies in 21 jurisdictions uh, to stop having any dealings whatsoever with Huawei, effectively banning them from purchasing any of their chips. Now, maybe one of the reasons that the technology sector is doing well is that well, the more we um, you know, restrict the ability of Chinese tech companies to operate um, in, in various jurisdictions, the better it will be for, for US companies. So maybe that's the logic there. But, um, but on the fiscal stimulus, um, you know, as was being said yesterday, I mean, if we were going to have a deal, it was more likely to happen last week when Congress was sitting. Um, and so the, the chances of that, uh, of a deal, you know, this month at least, uh, have gone to virtually zero. And yet we were using hopes of a fiscal stimulus as the pretext for justifying the strength in equities in the last couple of weeks, so go figure. So um, you know, in that sense, um, yes, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a crazy situation. Um, I guess underpinning all this is the ongoing, you know view that, um, you know, the central bank, the Fed in particular, will be there, you know, shoring up risk assets through various measures. But there's certainly nothing specific on that front to, to justify yeah. um, stocks being exactly where they are at the start of the week. Just how many US dollars can you create? That's the question, isn't it? The, the, the bottom of all of that. Uh, but look, despite, I mean, we've also got, uh, you know, the uh, not particularly great data coming out. The New York uh, Empire State Manufacturing Index, well below expectations for August, coming in at 3.7, down from 17.2 last month. So we're seeing much slower growth as well. Yet equities keep going up. <laughs> and, and interestingly, the sector that is, uh, that is outperforming, even the tech sector, is consumer discretionaries. So that includes things like autos and other sort of consumer durables. Um, and I was looking at some charts at how the US economic recovery, um, you know, is shaped compared to somewhere like China. Um, and if you look at the consumer side of the US economy, it almost looks like a V. Um, whereas in China, it's very much been sort of investment and industrial production led. Uh, and the consumer is definitely lagging the recovery there, which sort of, I guess, plays to that view in the US. If you give them the money, they'll spend it. And But obviously, consumption has been supported by these various um, PUA or pandemic pandemic unemployment assistance payments, which are now obviously in the process of being mm. tapered down. So it's questionable whether or not we'll continue to see the consumer uh, driving the recovery as, as with as much vigour as it has been evidently in the last few months, at least, as I say, in those empire numbers suggesting that, uh, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get the um, the whole economy um, uh, PMIs later this week ahead of the, the ISMs next week, so they're more important. But um, so wouldn't read too much into one state, but it does suggest that um, you know the manufacturing sector may not be uh, doing quite as well at the moment as it has been doing in the last couple. Well, of I months. mean, it does. I mean, stocks are quite specific, aren't they? In that it is, uh, it, it, it is like airlines, for example. Are, you know, they're not bouncing back. Boeing is down three point three percent. It's all it's the tech stocks, as you say, the consumer durables, stuff that you consume while you're at home, which is doing fairly well because there's a chunk of people, obviously, who are uh, perhaps coming out of this thing better than they went in because they 
they haven't got uh, travel costs or all the other things that are associated with work. You know, so some people perhaps are, are spending spending more while others are spending mm. less. So, well, one thing on there, obviously, we know in terms of the auto sector, we know a lot of people have chosen to to drive um, because they have an aversion to using public transport. Um, you know, one of the virus is still pre- prevalent in the community. So you know, that may be one factor there. And I was looking, I mean, the European stock market, I think, as you were saying, a good call, Phil, yesterday, that things like travel and leisure in Europe um, is, is the sector that is really underperforming at the moment as, as the virus uh, obviously is, is accelerating in terms of its infection rates in key countries. So um, yep. so you can still sort of look to the, you know, the prevalence of the virus and, and the trends there as offering some explanation for the uh, relative performance, I think, of different uh, stock market sectors. And the other thing, you know, if you've got the money, what do you do? You buy a house and uh, no surprise then. So the NAHB housing market index uh, came in at 88 for August, up from 72. And we're going to get uh, housing starts and building permits for July later on as well. So it's not really surprising, is it, given the interest rates are so low? Well, that is the that is the key driver. And I think the other driver, which is obviously something of a global phenomenon, is this sort of move away from sort of CBDs towards, um, you know, out of the sort of um, dense urban areas, basically, into sort of, um, you know, the, the, say the rural areas. But, you know, likes of Australia, for example, you know, more interest in, uh, in, in buying in, you know, if you're in New South Wales, the central coast, rather than looking to buy in, uh, in Mossman, for example. And that's so that sort of is creating a level of, of demand outside the uh, sort of the inner city areas. But uh, in the US, at least, it's these record low mortgage rates and the availability of mortgage credit that is, that is the primary driver of strength there. And as I say, the housing starts numbers we'll get today yeah. should uh, should be up about another 5% on top of double-digit gains that we saw last month. So it's still the case that uh, housing is, is, is far and above the single, most in, stro- the single strongest sector of the US economy. Meanwhile, uh, on those COVID-19 stats, the US now includes 170,000 fatalities and an infection rate that looked like it was slowing, but now it looks like it's picking up again a little bit, which is the same in in Europe. If you look at the latest seven-day moving average and compare it with the highest level in April, Italy is only 8% of its peak, Spain is 16%, Germany is at 19%, the UK is at 21% of its peak, but France is at 52%. And uh, Greece is having its peak now. It's over twice the levels it saw in March and April. So there are some concerning numbers there. But better news in Victoria because cases are trending lower there. Well, it seems to be yes. I'm just looking at the sort of things like the seven day average, where we're, you know we were we had a couple of days, didn't we? Four hundred and six hundred, and now we've, you know we're down into the uh, to sort of the low mid two hundreds at least anyway. So there's a, a very pronounced slowing there, and that's created quite a, a degree of optimism that um, you know Victoria can come out of its uh, current was uh, it uh, level three? Oh, sorry, Melbourne at least from its sort of level three restrictions, um, you know, on on track if you like, rather than have to look for a, for a further uh, extension. Um, whereas obviously in New Zealand, the uh, you know the, the lockdown there has been uh, has been extended for another four weeks as, as a consequence of which the uh, the general election has been put off until October the seventeenth, a month later than, than was intended. Yeah, even so, though the numbers aren't that high, but I mean, uh, presumably that is also contributing to this uh, this divide that we're seeing between the Aussie dollar and the, and the Kiwi dollar. Absolutely, I think that, uh, and certainly talking to our, uh, our, our Kiwi colleagues last night, I mean, if, if the if the policy in New Zealand is is if we have you know, a single figure uh, outbreak, then we're going to shut the economy down. Um, so mm. that the policy is sort of extinction, you know, rather than containment, then yeah. that is going to have, you know, debilitating impacts on the economy on an ongoing basis. And I think you're right. And that has certainly contributed something to the underperformance of the New Zealand dollar. 
So if you're in New Zealand, listening in New Zealand, try not to sniffle too loud. Uh, look, an apology for me. Uh, yesterday, I asked if Japan's GDP would be worse than the UK. Uh, we got those figures from Japan. The answer is, of course, nowhere near. <laughs> because I was uh, I was looking at the annualised figures rather than the quarterly figures. So the UK quarter on quarter was 20.4% down. Japan, 7.4%. Actually doing better than Germany or the US, who both fell over 10% in the April to June quarter. But, uh, no, I mean, anyway, you, you're, you're forgiven. But I think a, a quick trip back to the maths classroom might be in order after we finish recording here. Uh, so getting your annualised and your quarterly numbers right. But uh, And we shouldn't here be celebrating the fact that uh, you know GDP fell by only about a quarter or a third of the amount of the UK because in absolute terms the numbers are obviously are still uh, horrendous but yeah. um, and, and that's probably still uh, you know the UK is probably coming out a little bit better than uh, than Japan is but um, so sobering numbers but uh, but not quite as uh, not quite as scary as you suggested yesterday and, uh, and just on Japan obviously there was a bit of a scare story about uh, um, Prime Minister Abe's health yesterday but that doesn't seem to have uh, caused much of an impact in markets in fact one of the you know, the features of the uh, FX market is that the yen is almost as strong as the Aussie dollar, which is not what you'd normally expect mm. in a sort of risk-positive environment. But then you look at those US Treasury yields, um, which have come down sort of three or four basis points since the weekend. And um, that probably tells you most of what you need to know about a stronger yen here, which is ultra-sensitive to, uh, to shifts in US Treasury yields. Certainly lots of moving parts in the last 24 hours, weren't there? Uh, we'll see what the next day brings. Good to talk for now, Ray. Catch you soon. Thank you. Well done. Thanks, Phil. And uh, that's Tuesday morning's Morning Call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.